What is up? Hello there. My name is Jessica Patching Bunch. You can call me JPB. And this is Brain Body Resilience. This is a podcast dedicated to growth, human development, and stressing a little bit less so you can go ahead and live a little bit more. Well, hello and welcome back. Good day to you. You're listening to the Brain Body Resilience Podcast. In case you ended up here by accident, this is episode number 90 of the Brain Body Resilience Podcast. I'm your host, JPB. Let's get into this. This week's episode, I'm super excited. It's a little bit of a longer episode, I think. I think it will be. Um, I always take my notes beforehand and kind of have an outline because, to be honest, if I try and show up here and just say what's on my mind, I will never complain to a full sentence and there will be too many tangents to <laughs> to follow. So this is the best for all of us. So today I want to talk about PTSD. June is PTSD Awareness Month, uh, so I just missed it. I at one point wanted to have a whole list of, of all the things, all of the awareness days and the silly little, um, not that this is silly, but all the little like donut day and silly little like things like those are, that's good content. I want to talk about that. I barely know what day it is most of the time. So, you know, here we are. I missed this month. Um, but it is something that is important and I want to address, address it. So with that, I'm going to back up just a little bit because this also contributed to to this episode. I was listening to a podcast and the host was talking about how they used to be embarrassed um, looking at self-help type books or, you know, buying them, being seen reading them, which I can identify with very much. And I remember that being a thing that was always stigmatized and really made fun of on TV shows and movies when I was a little bit younger. I don't know, in the 90s, early 2000s, 2010s, maybe even still, I don't really watch TV a lot. So I don't know what's out there. Um, But I remember seeing this this message uh, loud and clear, like, you knew that if a person had self help books, they were really messed up or just kind of like out there and weird. And so this podcast host went on to talk about how they weren't into the woo woo things like energy. And then they mentioned quantum physics as a supporting science for mindset work. So a couple of things there. Quantum physics is the study of matter and energy. And the most, you know, at the most fundamental level, it's all about energy. And so if you think like talking about energy is super weird, then you don't understand what quantum physics is, which is fine. This brings me to my point. Um, but first, also, we've been over why dismissing something as woo-woo is not the way to go, since most of the things that are dismissed are just practices that Western perspective doesn't understand or include in practice. So maybe get curious if you're dismissing something like that. You know, get curious about why. Is it through my cultural perspective lens to, you know, dismiss everyone else's? Because American, uh, European-American culture, that is a tendency of ours. So just being mindful of that. Just because we don't understand something, if we don't see it, hear it, feel it, smell it, it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. Animals of all kinds hear, see, smell, feel things that we don't. So again, maybe just get curious and learn, lean towards expanding in perspective, getting curious, 
And, um, you know, that's all. That was a lovely example of my, of my tangent brain. Anyways, bringing this back, self-help and mental health and stigma. Uh, wouldn't you say, wouldn't you say, I frame this as a question here in my notes, but I would say it seems very convenient that there is a stigma on mental health. Dysregulation is often named disorder and illness. And these things have much more negative connotation than physical illness, the physical illnesses like a cold where the immune system is dysregulated by stimuli and then it works to heal itself. And we're like, yeah, cool. Immune system, do your thing. But when it comes to nervous system dysregulation and the symptoms that presents, for some reason, uh, we just have been really resistant to acknowledging that that is a natural process of our body. And that it doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. It means that we have to address things. And so, there is this stigma in place, in a place, in this place, specifically speaking to the United States. And I know that this is not uh, incredibly unique to us, um, where we refuse to acknowledge or explore our own traumatic history as a culture, as a country. And we go so far in this moment, in this current period in history, we are going so far even to make it illegal to to teach about the experiences that have shaped the culture and society that we live in today. So it seems to me to follow these same guidelines in healthcare. Don't talk about it and it'll just go away. Pretend it's not here. And if you do talk about it or acknowledge the symptoms and effects that the trauma lived actually has on you, or, you know, communities, or our country, our society, our culture, people in general, then the problem is obviously you, because you talked about it, you acknowledged it, you didn't just pretend that it wasn't there. And so I see a strong correlation for this. And the fact that the United States makes up about 4% of the world's population, and over 80% of the world's medications taken. 4% of the world's population. That's a small number. I know we like to think that we're at the center of everything, but we're just 4% of the world's population and over 80% of the world's medications. That is a staggering number. And I believe that to be entirely because of the way we choose to deal with it. We definitely don't have, you know, 80% of the world's hardships and traumas. Like they don't exist in other places. It's how we deal with them. It's how we acknowledge them. And like I have mentioned before, that $11 trillion medical insurance industry and, you know, pharmaceuticals and all of those things, that's a whole other episode. So bring this back around. June is National Post-Traumatic Stress Disorder Awareness Month, and it is intended to raise public awareness about issues related to PTSD and reduce the stigma around it. And so that's what I want to talk talk about today. I myself, and I know that I've talked about this in other episodes, but I have a diagnosis of diagnosis of complex PTSD. And knowing how that has shown up in my life has been so helpful for me to understand that it's just part of how we work as humans. And it's not actually that there's like something wrong with me. All of these symptoms that I have been experiencing for decades of my life make sense when I know 
how the nervous system and brain work to protect us from harm. Once I learned that, and I put those pieces of the puzzle together from my experience, I was like, oh yeah, that makes total sense. Okay, now what? Now what do I do? So we know that acute stress disorder um, is a little bit different. It refers to the initial traumatic symptoms that arise immediately after a traumatic event. While post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, refers to the long-term aftermath of trauma that can develop after a very stressful, frightening, distressing event, or after prolonged trauma experiences. So people with PTSD have um, intense, disturbing thoughts and feelings related to their experience that can last long after the traumatic event has ended. I'm reading this. Um, They may relive the event through flashbacks or nightmares. They may feel sadness, fear, or anger, and they may feel detached or estranged from other people. So I think that this is the most common understanding of PTSD as a significant amount of the PTSD research that we have available has been conducted on veterans of war, which is a huge part of our uh, population suffering from PTSD. So that makes sense. And that's great. But other common ways that PTSD PTSD can show up is things like changes in physical and emotional reactions, being easily startled or frightened, always being on guard for danger, that hyper arousal and hypervigilance, self-destructive behavior like drinking too much or driving too fast, seeking those higher adrenaline kind of activities, um, unsafe sexual practices, things like trouble sleeping, trouble concentrating, irritability, angry outbursts or aggressive behavior. That's really common. Um, overwhelming guilt or shame, also very common. And so I want you to think about how common so many of those things I just mentioned are and how much those also relate to other things like anxiety, depression, ADHD, all of these different kind of diagnoses that all also have roots in dysregulation within the nervous system. So I want to dig a little bit deeper into a few of these, um, starting with memory loss. I don't think that I mentioned this uh, previously, but this one is a significant um, symptom and aftermath of PTSD or traumatic events. And a lot of us think about how, you know, with traumatic brain injury, it would make sense that there would be some kind of change in brain function. But it is also the case where the body is trying to cope with what has happened, this traumatic event. And so your brain is trying to protect you and cope in any way possible. And our body and brain don't have to make sense to us. Most of the time they don't, and we get in trouble when we try and make sense of things. It's a whole thing that we do as humans. So the hippocampus, the amygdala, and the prefrontal cortex are all strongly associated with the stress response and with memory. And so when something traumatic happens, memory loss occurs as a natural defense mechanism. And There is a a note from where I kind of got where one of the articles that I took this information from, and I want to pass that along that without proper treatment, these memories may resurface at any time resulting in significant distress. So if you know that you have some traumatic things to work through, work that shit out in therapy. I'm going to talk later about therapy, but you know, it's not just for the like if you're really messed up which is this this message this theme of this message that we keep getting it's for everyone i'm going to put a pin in that because i go into that all all kind of later 
as I wrap this up. So uh, we know in research that uh, there's been a lot of animal research that suggests that intense emotional memories are processed outside of the hippocampally mediated memory systems and are difficult to extinguish. And that cortical activity can inhibit the expression of these subcortically based emotional memories. Okay, so this is what we've talked about before, where your thinking brain can get in the way of that natural processing of that arousal energy through your body. We can't think ourselves out of this, okay? (laughs) Bottom line. Um, Another one of these symptoms that I think is worth addressing in a little bit more depth is having difficulty feeling positive emotions. So we often associate anger, sadness, guilt, all of these kind of things with trauma or PTSD because they do come up a lot uh, because we're constantly triggered and on defense. But what this does as well is dampens our ability to regulate positive emotions. And part of this, we've discussed this before as well in other episodes, is that when we try to, research has also shown that when we try to dampen and dismiss, and we do not allow ourselves to feel the emotions that are hard and don't feel good and are uncomfortable, anger, sadness, guilt, all of these things. This doesn't just take away our ability to feel those things. It's not like, okay, we can't, we can't just pick and choose. When we, I can't think of the word that I want, but when we um, dampen our ability, it's not the word I want, but it's the one I'm going to use. Um, when we, When we intentionally avoid that's where I'm going to go with this. When we intentionally intentionally avoid our feelings, it does not just avoid the, the ones that we don't like, that we don't want to feel. What that does is dampen our ability to feel all of our feelings. And that includes joy, positive emotions, happiness, excitement, love, all of that, because they all come together. All feelings are supposed to be felt. And when we decide that we're not going to feel certain ones, what it does is cut off our access to feel the ones that we want. And so we have difficulty feeling positive emotions if we've practiced pushing down and ignoring the kind of shitty feeling emotions. Another um, another one of these symptoms, engaging in risky behaviors. So this is especially common among people who have undergone trauma. Individuals with a high number of ACE score, that adverse childhood experiences um, study that I think we talked about that last week. Um, It was a landmark study that was done in the mid-90s, between 95 and 97, on how, surprise, adverse childhood events do in fact inform how you go on to live in your life and how you see the world, your perspective, your nervous system regulation, all the things. Basically, the experiences we have in life affect us. It took a whole study to tell us this, um, which was amazing. The study is incredible. I just think that our denial of this is also incredible. Anyways, um, <laughs> so if we also look at uh, combat veterans, they have a higher level of addiction than the general population. And when we're talking about risky behaviors, it can include things like drug abuse, alcoholism, unsafe sex, high adrenaline activities, all these things we kind of mentioned before. 
and behavioral addictions like gambling or shopping, all of these things that just kind of numb the bad feelings or give you that hit, that that boost of, of dopamine and, you know, or oxytocin, serotonin, all of these things that kind of regulate our mood and make us feel better. So those people who, those of us who have coped with their trauma through compulsive comfort seeking is what it's called, which I definitely fit into this category. I read these things. I'm like, oh my God, this is, this explains so much, which is a huge part of why I love this work because it's uh, also, I mean, it, I, it start, I started doing this because it, I needed to know these things. I needed to help myself with these things. And now I just choose to share it in hopes that it's useful for someone else as well. So, um, you know, if that sounds familiar, seek help professional help for treatment and therapy. Again, this is going to be a theme throughout this. Um, other things like the hypervigilance that we mentioned before, just always kind of being alert and looking for the danger, like obsessively just looking for, for danger and threat. Difficulty concentrating, which comes from hyperarousal and anxiety, is a, I think, I would say, a highly overlooked symptom of nervous system dysregulation often is um, misdiagnosed as ADHD or presents as ADHD. And then there isn't a further look into the nervous system dysregulation, the trauma that is causing this. So um, all of these things that are super common, if we look at ourselves or we look at our, you know, the things that we're struggling with, and I can see this all over the place in my community and my you know, my loved ones as well, because there aren't very many of us. I don't like to speak in absolutes, but I would say there there aren't any of us who get out of this life without some kind of trauma at some point. And so these triggers can include, you know, triggers to these things that, that make us kind of trigger, trigger the PTSD include, you know, sight, sound, smells, or thoughts that remind us of this traumatic event in some way, shape, or form. And it doesn't have to make any sense. Some PTSD triggers are obvious, like seeing a news report of an assault or something or war. Um, Others are less clear. For example, if we are just, you know, if we're attacked on a sunny day, seeing a bright blue sky can make us upset and trigger uh, what seems like an incredibly irrational response. Your brain will make associations with any part of the memory and try to protect you from that doesn't have to make sense. And it often doesn't make any rational sense, but we try and think ourselves out of it anyway. I do this and I'll let you know if I ever figure out a way to make that work. I don't see that happening because that's just not how we work as humans. So I know that this, uh, we're over 20 minutes here, but um, I'm going to keep on going. Research shows us that Uh, dopamine is a crucial part of reward and motivation. We know this, and we know that severe stress has been associated with reduction in dopaminergic neural activity. We've done other episodes on this. And we also know that dopamine agonists, so things that help promote dopamine release, have been shown to reduce PTSD-like symptoms. There's also a strong link between trauma exposure and reduced serotonin, which we know is the mood you know, thinking, cognition, reward, learning, memory, sleep, digestion, all of these parasympathetic processes, processes, serotonin helps with all of these. And so some of the best ways to regulate these neurochemicals are the things we talk about all of the time here. 
exercise, time in nature, nutrition, meditation, breathwork, gratitude, and creating joy. PTSD is not a lifetime sentence to anything, and neither is depression or anxiety. These are all symptoms of prolonged or acute stress and dysregulation resulting then in the nervous system. So what that means is that we can participate in redirecting our nervous system with intention and create a nervous system hygiene practice to help us heal and repattern the dysregulation to help regulate so that we're not stuck in hyperarousal. We're not stuck in a sympathetic state that we flow back and forth between our states of being as we're supposed to as humans. So back to the original thoughts that only people who are super messed up need self-help, let alone therapy. I think it is so wild that the idea of participating in your own well-being and healing and taking action to feel better in this life we live is viewed so negatively. Like it's some kind of real, just weird shit. To me, that is weird shit. Like it blows my mind. And so with that, I am going to say we all need help and support in different times of our life. It's just part of being human. We are meant to live in community because survival rates go up when there's more of us. So get the support you need. That will look different at different times, but you do not have to be messed up to go to therapy. Just go because you need someone to talk to, because you're going through a hard time. And we all are. Because you need to go through your feelings or big decisions, or just because you want to learn how to grow as a person. So I'm going to leave you with just a few statistics that highlight um, just how much we all have in common when you think that no one could possibly understand or like you are the one who's really messed up, which is not true. And I will continue to say that over and over again. We're all much more similar than we understand or want to admit sometimes. So the following statistics are based on the U.S. population. Um, So keeping that in mind, about six out of every 100 people or 6% of the population will have PTSD at some point in their lives. Now, 6% doesn't sound like a lot, but 12 million adults is what that is in the U.S. And I think that number is probably very low. In an estimated 3.6% of adults who have had PTSD in the past year, um, past year prevalence of PTSD among adults was higher in females at 5.2% than for males at 1.8%. And so this is just what was reported. And we know that that number is low given the stigma around diagnosis and mental health as a topic in general. So let's look at these statistics. If PTSD is higher in females, let's consider that about one in four girls and one in 13 boys in the United States experience sexual uh, assault as or abuse as children. And I've heard uh, differing statistics for boys, which makes sense as well, because again, masculinity is a thing and navigating that and admitting abuse. And so I know that those numbers are well skewed as well. So um, abuse in general, nearly 26% of people surveyed said that they were verbally abused, and then just under 15% that they had been physically abused, which was defined as having been uh, beaten or hit with, you know, excluding spanking, because that just used to be super normal punishment things. 
Um, and so something else that's really interesting about this in this, uh, the article that I got this from, it says that in each category, the adults over 55 were far less likely than younger people to say that they had experienced one of these problems. And this was a study done in 2010. So I'm sure that there somewhere is more, well, actually, I'm not sure. I don't know if there's more current uh, information out there. I think that's really interesting because we know that when a person is exposed to danger, violence, illness, threat of injury, there is the potential of acute stress and then possible prolonged symptoms, which is PTSD. And that number is lower in older adults, not because they didn't have these issues, which I've heard. I think it's really funny. I've heard (laughs) people say like, oh, they're just making things up now. (laughs) And that's not what it is. It's that one, I mean, technology has advanced, like neuroimaging has advanced to the point where we can actually see these, you know, some of these things affecting the brain and how it functions. Also, we're just like more willing to admit things and not pretend like it just never happened. And that was my parents' generation. And that's where I've heard those things. There's nothing tough about pretending life doesn't affect you. And it took me so long to figure that out. But if you want to be tough, support yourself through the hard feelings and let others support you too. Because that shit's really hard. So wrapping this up, PTSD is more common than we think. It's more common than we talk about. And it doesn't just happen to war veterans. There is nothing wrong with you. And your nervous system dysregulation also known as psychological disorder or mental illness, can be healed. If you think about it, why would all of our other systems be able to heal themselves and just not that specific one? That doesn't make any sense to me. We are self-healing creatures. And yes, like medical intervention is a thing. That's a whole other other episode. We have so much more agency over ourselves, over our health, over our well-being than we are taught and more than we understand sometimes. So that's all. No challenge for you. Just something to think about this week. Cheers and love to you. I hope you have a beautiful week. We'll do this again next time. Until then, peace out.